And she was talking about a lot of the things that she was talking about. She said that she was going to get backlash from. And we realized that because it's long form, it's not a tweet or something, then there's already a barrier to haters because yeah. the haters would have to sit with you and listen and be with you for the full trajectory of your thought process. Cool. Um, and I love that. If they, yeah, if they were going to put that much effort in, then they're actually listening harder to be a hater and if they just want to be a hater then they're not going to put the effort in yes you know i've got a really strong stance on this idea of tweets of being haters of tweets and facebook status rants tell me about the rants i feel as though a lot of people i know mm. call themselves activists right Act- they'll be like dancer activist singer activist mm. whatever yeah. it is and then they'll write these big things about aboriginality or refugees and they have these big ranty statuses or picture captions and whatnot Uh and the people that i especially know well Mm. i know don't do anything beyond those rants and they they feel it they feel it collectivism yeah Yeah. they feel it with all their hearts i don't deny that yeah they definitely they, they would i don't deny that they have the tears and all of that stuff um and I also think that whatever you, whatever means that you have to affect change, you should use it. And if you feel that your rant is something is, is a way in which to do it, mm. I don't want to take that away from you. But personally, it makes me cringe because I'm like, um, have you heard of love languages? How different people feel loved? I'm going to give you the worst synopsis because I don't really know it. (laughs) But people apparently feel loved in different ways. And that's why sometimes in a relationship, a partner can feel unappreciated, although another one's doing heaps of stuff. So some people feel appreciated through gifts, which doesn't mean like things like jewelry. It could be Mm -hmm. things like, you know, I made you cupcakes. A flower you stole on the way home. Yeah, yeah. So some people feel appreciated by physical touch. Some of them is by being told, like speech. And some are by actions, and the others are by time. I think that's like I think I. That's a good one. Yeah. I think I got it. You've done well. Like, I could have made most of those up though, but I know I know that mine is actions. Mm. So someone can talk and talk and talk to me, but I don't necessarily feel anything from it until that person just turns around and is like, "Hey, you said you were sick, so I made you chicken soup." Like a friend did that for me the other week, and I was so beyond moved mm. by the action with which she took she doesn't even eat meat she went out and bought a chicken do do you know like so so anyway i've totally digressed so i bring that back to facebook statuses in that i'm not one to rant i'm one to be like okay this is something that's really upset me what can i do about it and that's basically how most of the programs through groove therapy have been born yeah 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 through just being really upset by something and just being like i can't I just cannot, I do not want to write about it. I don't want to read another article about it. Mm. And also my article, all the articles that are on my feed are tailored towards what I believe in already. So I'm very aware of that. And I just wanted to go out there in most of those cases, like if this community says that they're so disadvantaged, I want to go there. And every single time, time and time again, and for whatever reason, it still shocks me. It turns out they're just people, right? And we just... (laughs) Well, you just want to categorize. Who would have thought? Yeah, yeah. And so, and and every single time it goes from black and white to grey, um, you know. And it's yeah. just I, I just need that for myself, and mm. I and I like to share those stories. So, 
Yeah. I just realised we didn't say your name. Oh, yeah, let's start with that. Let's I'm start Vanessa. With that. <laughs> <laughs> I'm Vanessa speaking to Matt over two cups of Earl Grey coffee, tea, not even coffee. <laughs> the Earl of Grey. The Earl of Grey tea, yeah. <laughs> and we just dipped into a little bit of groove therapy. Yes. So I run this dance class business called Groove Therapy. Um, the most well-known program that we have is just an adults um, open to every walk of lifestyle of dance class. Mm. You're a dancer, so you understand how liberating and amazing dance feels. Mm. And I just feel as though, and you would get this a lot, people come up to you and they're like, oh, I wish I could dance. Or I used to take dance classes when I was young, but, and it always sort of, it's this sort of theme of I miss the boat mm. and lucky you. And I just don't think you, I don't think people have missed the boat on having fun with dancing. Like, cool, it might be really difficult to be a professional once you've grown up, but you can always dance, right? So it's about learning how to not take yourself seriously, how to get out of your internal monologue and get into your body and move and just having fun with that and and creating an environment that's hopefully, I'm hoping isn't intimidating and is is a community as opposed to a scene. So those are all the sort of themes that we sort of pull through groove therapy. And and we also want to promote mental wellness because my friend, she works in OT and she was just like, you know, there's all this emphasis on mental illness and treating it once it's already there. But what about just wellness in the community? So that's like, that's basically those open classes for just the everyday person. And then we have a bunch of these sort of, um, sort of community, community classes and projects that we do on the side yeah and you said that um it just came from from feeling something was not what it could be Mm -hmm. and then wanting to take action yeah about that in in the small way that i could yeah so you know i think someone once said to me like oh i wish that i could dance and give back to the community i was like in, in all honesty, if you were to step back and think about what these communities need, dance would probably be the last thing you'd think of at first. Like, if you're an accountant, those organizations would love to have an accountant donate their time. If you're a graphic designer, think about the posters you could make and the marketing material you could make. Like, it's whatever your skill is. <laughs> Use it to give back. You're a teacher. Like, whoa. You know, like English. And you don't even have to take over you actually go in and you just fill in the gaps yeah totally. of something because most of it can be is already being done totally most of the way and they just need someone to be like oh have you thought about this and then just leave people aligned again yeah, yeah. just helping those organizations out because it they're all costs what mm. you do is a cost to someone so you know even your time just mm. if you're just like i don't really have any skills which i very much doubt just your time you know sorting out t-shirts or something like yeah. you you can you can help in in that way so i don't think that when you think about it in that way it's particularly profound it's just this is what i have this is what i'm going to give yeah yeah there's a weird scale though of um glory or prestige or something there seems to be a hierarchy of what you offer when you volunteer yeah and this unfortunately um volunteering time and services 
<clears throat> versus volunteering assets or money versus volunteering even within time and services volunteering your artistic services versus your bookkeeping services mm -hmm. or whatever they all sit within a hierarchy of false prestige yes and what do you what would you rate as the hierarchy um i guess there are things that are most quantifiable that make a most quantifiable mm -hmm. difference seem to be higher up on the hierarchy because we live in this very literal explicit tangible mm -hmm. measured mode of society where i mean it's even coming through with the effective altruism movement where people want to feel good by volunteering or giving or donating but then they also want to make sure that they're getting the most bang for their time or buck or whatever it is mm -hmm. and so there's like a how do you measure not what you're giving but what impact and effect that it's having yeah i imagine that's not something that you need to worry about why is that in your efforts as in or just within like what you want to do you because it's be not easy to measure what effect dance has. No. So would you say that that would value it less or... It would be harder to value it in a quantifiable yeah, way. totally. It's funny you say that though because um, I have this real complex about how I was talking to you about how many interviews I've done this year and how much press groove therapy gets and, mm -hmm. and how I say no to so many. And um, it the my my willingness to accept an interview or not depends very much on how authentic I feel that person is when they're approaching me. So I've had someone come to me and be like, we work for this magazine and it's a really cool magazine and they've got a big follower, you know, following and whatnot. And they're like, we've got this like really cool person who's going to interview you and we're going to do this like, sort of like cool sort of video shoot. And I watched it. First of all, from a taste perspective, I didn't like the shoot. I thought it looked like a bit grad school, okay. but but aside from that, it was very like fashion, like a cool fashion shoot where everyone yeah. poses and the, you've got a side profile shot. And, and I'm like, I don't feel cool with my refugee girls being filmed like that. And and they wanted to come for the, for the very first class that I was going to hold. Whoa. They wanted to be there. And I'm just like, you know, just tactfulness. Like obviously as a teacher, I have to build a rapport. And yeah. you want to make a fashion film out of refugee girls? Like, it just, like, things like that where I was like, I don't care what your following is. Mm. I, I just absolutely not. And then a lot of people want to do um, pieces on my dementia home. And the thing is, it, I don't really need the publicity for that because let's be honest, someone with dementia is not going to read that and remember it to come to class. No, my, so mom runs a, my mom runs a nursery, a plant nursery in Darwin. Yeah. And each month, I think, or week, probably month, a busload of dementia sufferers from a home will come into the nursery and have a morning tea and she'll play music for them on the piano accordion or whatever. And she says she can play the same song each time. Oh, we play the same song every week. Yeah. And it, we play the same song within the hour. <laughs> and it's still joyful, isn't it? Totally. It's still great and the impact is still had. And you're absolutely right. There's no need for publicity or validity or anything like that because the work is happening. Yeah. And it doesn't bring any... Like, it does... I, I don't really need the funding. Like, the nursing home pays me. Yeah. I don't need the public... Like, it doesn't do anything except for make me look like this amazing person. It's like and some I some kind of... Um, virtuous angel or yeah. something yeah and it makes and so this is what i was saying it makes me feel uncomfortable 
when you talk about this value system, the media values what I do. Because what a cool story that a dancer girl, who's especially a girl of color and huh. she's a minority herself. And like I was born in, in, in Sharjah, which is in the United Arab Emirates. Mm-hmm. And just there's a huge Indian community there. My dad was just an accountant. My mom was a teacher. And they love to play that up. And I came here when I was five. I very much identify as Australian. I don't really remember my life there, but they love to talk about like Vanessa born in the United Arab Emirates. And I'm just like, oh, because they'll ask me where I was born and they expect India or Australia or something. And when I say, actually, this is a bit of a funny curveball, although I didn't experience anything outside of Indian middle class life there. Mm -hmm. So so that's something that's a bit cringy to me. So now my two, my two, um, I guess my my two criteria, what, it has to tick one or the other for saying yes to an interview is that I trust the person and that it will be like a, something of integrity or that it pays me heaps of money. Like, because I'm an artist and I have to pay my bills. It's so good. It's so good. <laughs> because to keep doing the work that matters, that yeah. doesn't pay, it needs to be subsidized by these yep. one-off bursts yep. of and, compromise. And to be honest, those brands that will pay you money are brands that will help you a lot as well. Yeah. So like the Westpac campaign or like the Nike camp, like those sorts of things, like mm-hmm. they, th- what they put out was pretty good quality. Mm-hmm. I wasn't like, oh, yuck, you know, like what you did was really gross and that's not me. Yeah. And they were, in both cases, were extremely respectful. They yeah. interviewed me for a very, very long time. Yeah. So I didn't feel, yeah, I think you can have a lot of control over that stuff if you want to. Yeah. I think almost, I actually feel the bigger an organization is, the more careful they are about pissing people off. Do you know what I mean? I know what you mean, yeah. They've got more checks and yeah. balances in place and they've got budget to just get someone proper to interview you or so. Yeah. You know, like they, it's just all a bit, I don't know, I kind of in a weird way trust the big brands. Yeah, it's strange. There's like, there's an extreme at each end <laughs> and everything. In, so it's either just your mate with a recorder or yeah. it's like Westpac. Yeah. <laughs> everything in between. You're like, Ooh, the startups sure. are like, in my opinion, like you should support small business and Australian business, but the startups are the ones that need to hustle and they're the ones that will cut cut yeah, right. the talent first from budget. And but even within talent, they'll cut a dancer before a model. Like, you know, we were asked to do, I don't, I, don't, I can't even, I'm not even going to give you one example. I've got millions. Yeah. Music video or this or that, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah, but dan- just come in and freestyle. That's all it is, right? And it's like, but if you wanted a model, you would be paying her $5,000. And you know that. But what a model just won the genetic lottery versus a dancer who has spent, how long have we spent and how much money have we spent to be able to do what we do? You know, it's so insulting. So there's, there's that, you know, so I, yeah, it's a funny one for me. If I really believe in what a company is doing, I'm cool. But if a startup's like, oh, you know, it's great exposure. Like I'm not really at a place in my career and I'm really stoked on this Mm. where I care or need it. It's really cool. It's a cool place of power. But is that also to do with what, where your value is, where your value lies, where your value focus lies? Maybe. I'm also not, um, I don't get my gratification from performing that much, which Uh is really strange, isn't it? I, I think I'm the only dancer in the world. <laughs> no, I was like, I'm not I, huge at performing. I like, remember some people saying that when I went through VCA. And yeah. I didn't understand at the time because I'd come from either boring dancing or break dancing, which the point is that people come together and the people who 
can dance dance, whether they're skilled or whether it's for fun, even like social boring dancing, mm -hmm. and the people who are immobile or aged or whatever, they have the opportunity to watch because they can't, they can no longer do. Mm -hmm. And there's still a way for them to get the yeah. enjoyment out of it. But I understand, but those were two situations, <clears throat> both break and ballroom, not in their most, uh, what is like perverted forms, but in their traditional forms that are about people coming together and dancing. Yeah. So I guess I always understood performing as a, as a service mm -hmm. that you're mm -hmm. doing with your audience mm -hmm. and that you could just as easily swap roles. Mm -hmm. Yeah, no, I, I love, I do like performing, but I get the most joy from teaching. Yeah. Yeah. And it's really hard with groove therapy now that it's it's expanding mm. and i need teachers to come mm. on board for a lot of these programs and my adult class like i've had people relief teach and like they've done a, a great job and stuff but it's like you know you know immediately how passionate someone is about teaching a bunch yeah. of beginners yeah you know versus like oh it's really good pay um yeah i'll do yeah, it I'll rock you know but yeah i think it's that yeah it's um it's another unquantifiable set of skills and passions mm -hmm. that there's things that you can do uh, logistically. You can show up and you can execute the moves and you can put the music on loud and shit like that. But then there are things that you do passionately or energetically or emotionally, yeah. which is activate a space and make it okay mm -hmm. for people to move in a way that uh, Western... Roman Catholic society has beaten out of them for so yeah, long. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Giving them permission. I swear a beginner's dance class is 80% psychology. Yeah. You know? It's, it's like distracting them enough that they're not thinking about themselves. Yeah. It was really nice when I came to your groove therapy that it just, it moved so quickly that I had to just let myself go to keep up with you. Yeah. Or to cool. keep up with the people around me or something. And that's what I try and do when I teach even professional contemporary technique but mainly that's not to get away from their self-consciousness but to get away from their fear because mm -hmm. we're often falling off balance or whatever yeah it's to move so quickly that we're activating your um like monkey falling out of a tree instinct grab the branch rather than your trying to be smart instinct right that's a really interesting thing because I suck at <laughs> contemporary break to anything where I have to be upside down or near the floor yeah that's my that's my Achilles heel. As you saw, how much I freaked. Remember how we had to do those flip over people's? How much I freaked. Yeah, it wasn't great. necessarily like a lack of physical ability. No, it definitely is. It not. was just I was freaking. Yeah, that's like a big thing for me to uh, that I really want to tick off. Oh, awesome. Like getting comfortable of going um, with going in and out of the floor, being yeah. upside down. Maybe it has to do with hips as well. Yes and no. Uh -huh. Like things like a handstand freak me out. Yeah, right. But if someone's there to catch me, I'm I can do it. Yeah, right. So it's very psychological for me. I'm, yeah, so it's really about having the right teacher who's going to distract you from your own fear long enough so that you surprise yourself yeah. by just achieving it. Yeah. Yeah. And then do it again and again and again till you're like, that's fine. Yeah. <laughs> it's a funny one, isn't it? It's really, it's really strange. Mm. Um, can you tell me? about how the dementia classes came about super organically there was nothing that i instigated on my end whatsoever mm. it was a friend's mum who saw me at a cafe and was like you're lincoln's friend you're the dancer right i was like yes yeah. 
So my mom has dementia, but she loved dancing. Do you reckon you could come? Like, what are your rates? But like, just that. That was it. And I went in there, and I we kind of danced with Vicky, and she was like, the initial thing was she wanted a dance routine to do with her mom. Mm-hmm. And we realized very quickly that dementia patients cannot learn a routine, yes. right? Not even in the moment. Like right and left confuses them, and it it kind of almost distressed her at times. Yeah. And then there were a couple of classes where there were a few other people around, and they joined in. And Vicky, who was who was the first lady I went to see, came to life, and you could mm. it became apparent she was a bit of a show off. Well, Shay was like, she's always been a show-off. So, Because I was just like, oh, will she be like nervous with other people? Mm. She's like, no, no. So soon it became really apparent that we were going to get a better um, reaction or better participation yeah. from Vicky yeah. with the other people. Yeah. But then the nurses saw this and shut that down very quickly because understandably there's a lot of insurance issues yeah. with two people just of Vicky's relatives and her, Vicky's relative and her friend just coming in and making all these people who are very much close to the ends of their lives that some of them are like a hundred years old wow. yeah they're not old as in 70 or 80 they're all <laughs> 90s or up wow they're very old so when they, they a lot of them can't stand up so mm. they're just clapping very feebly and that's like their way of participating and then after eight months of lobbying and just coming to just see vicky and doing that sort of thing for for free um because I was just, it got to, I did four weeks and I was like, you know, I don't even need to get paid. Like, let, let's make this a program sort of. And then eventually um, after sending so many forms that got lost so many times and police checks and sh- showing that I had insurance and just, you know how these systems work. Yeah. Um, we Bureaucracy. finally had a program. And wow. so now yesterday, uh, so I do it every Thursday mornings. Yesterday went off. So we just go into the living room where they're, all sitting they're usually Mm -hmm. all asleep like Mm -hmm. chin on chest drooling on themselves um we just go in we turn the tv off and we just play music and Mm -hmm. we uh not all of them have dementia um but it's not even necessarily that apparent once the music comes on who does and who doesn't Mm -hmm. because they you're you're playing on long-term memories right so you're playing um you're playing things like frank sinatra and tom jones Mm -hmm. and whatnot so i'm not it's not a hip-hop class by any means (laughs) Definitely not. <laughs> but um, but so that's what we're playing, and yeah. then they can now contribute to the present moment because they can sing the song. Yes. Right, and they can yeah. move, and so you know, with some of them, you can ask them questions like, "Did you dance to this?" Or you know, "Yes, my husband and I would dance." You know, so they mm-hmm. they can contribute to the moment. So you pull them out of this state of being super blank. Some of them, like there's one lady, Betty, she's got really severe dementia, but you wouldn't know it when the music's playing. She's one of the most um, nimble. Mm. So physically, she she can keep up. She can do a box step with me and Whoa. things like that. Yeah, she's she's pretty great. The music, I didn't know she had dementia for weeks and weeks and weeks. And then the music went off and like, you know, stats were just like, where's Betty gone? And someone said, oh, she's probably forgotten that she's in a dance class and just wandered off. So... The music had stopped whilst I went to change a song. She got confused and just walked out of the room. And I found her just wandering this hallway. Like, wow. So, yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's it's pretty powerful in that sense. Um, and they all, they like, a lot of them also don't have dementia, I'm sure. Because they, they a lot of the regulars, the most, um, I guess, 
the ones who participate the most and with the most enthusiasm, they'll rock up every Thursday. They're there every Thursday Mm -hmm. and they know and they're waiting for me. And I've been told they've asked about me on weeks that I haven't come. So Mm -hmm. there's, there's a bunch of them that are, yeah. Mm. Yeah. How do you choose your playlist? We've just got the one. (laughs) (laughs) They're not going to remember. Um, So we've got that one raindrops, Uh, raindrops, Kipa. Um, can't help falling in love with you. Mm-hmm. Um, Quando, Quando, Quando. Mm-hmm. A bunch of Frank Sinatra. Tom Jones. What's new, Pussycat? Oh yeah. That's a that's a big one. New York, New York. Oh yeah. Yeah, yeah. So we just um, we don't ask them because they don't remember. Yeah. Like, what was the song you like? I don't know. There were so many and yeah, yeah. that kind of thing. Once you play it, they can sing all the all the yeah, words wow. to it. So that's cool. Yeah. How do you choose your playlist for your groove therapy? Um, I usually with groove therapy, I'll go three weeks at a time with one genre of dance so that if you come in week three and you've never been before, that's fine. We'll learn this, these three steps from scratch. But if you've been coming, if you're a regular, you get three weeks to work on something, Mm. which is kind of cool. But then we reset again. So it's not like someone's 10 weeks behind on something. So I'll go by genre. And then within those genres of dance, you've got genres of music. So you've got Afro beats for three weeks, Afro house for three weeks, mm-hmm. house, um, old school hip hop, new school hip hop. So mm-hmm. that's what I'll usually do. And then I just troll SoundCloud, Spotify, all of those things. Because yeah. I I put a lot of effort into my playlist because when I'm excited by the music, I give a yeah. much better class. Yeah. So yeah, that's my... that's. It's not really anything too <laughs> planned out. Just troll the internet. <laughs> <laughs> no, but you need to know where, you, where you're looking and what you're looking for. Are the names of the music genres also the names of the dance genres? Yes, almost always. Yeah, wow. Yeah. Like even old school, you just type in 80s hip-hop tracks. Yeah, it's true. You know. There's enough 80s hip-hop club nights. Yeah. There's already plenty. Totally. Um, even something like if I were to say... Yeah, new school hip-hop. We know what new school hip-hop is. You have to type it in, it will remind you, yeah. you know. And then if you're... Because I'm not someone... I don't... I try and avoid playing Drake or something because I'm like, you already hear this at home. So I quite pride myself on people being like, where'd you get your music from? <laughs> so... Yeah. It's like... This, yeah, I only came to one of your classes and then I had went home and downloaded a bunch of music. Yeah, oh, cool. Straight That's from so YouTube, funny. though. Because you, I, I remembered one, the one... And then put that in and it's like, do you mean this one? How about this one? Yeah, see, so that's what I... You, you get into great, these amazing K-holes yeah. with those genres. K-holes? I don't know. Is that a thing? I don't know. Tell me. I'm, I'm learning. What does the K stand for? I don't know. Oh. But now that I think about it, it's just a figure of speech. But I think it might mean ketamine. <laughs> <laughs> Which okay. I've never taken. Okay. Just disclaimer, okay. everyone out there. <laughs> Um, I got exposed to breakdance because I was almost finished year 12 in Darwin mm-hmm. and there was one shopping centre and so I went to that shopping centre in one of my free lessons to the food court and there were a bunch of boys, mostly Filipino boys, who were doing some breakdancing on the like polished marble yeah. on, on any generic like food court yeah, yeah. situation. <laughs> And at first, I was like, what the hell is this? What is that music? What are those moves? What is that style? I want all of it. Yeah, yeah. Um, but if, I, if that hadn't happened, I probably, I don't know, 
might still be driving trucks for my dad's business or something in Darwin. Even though I had done ballroom, it hadn't ever clicked with me. The passion for dance hadn't clicked with me. Right. And I, it's just, it's crazy how accidental it is that you stumble upon a genre of music or movement that somehow resonates with you enough to follow it. Mm-hmm. And I wonder if you remember or if you have a story that you already have told a million times that you're sick of telling <laughs> just about the one the one that resonated with you, the, the movement pathways. Because for me, I'd almost never heard music that had activated my pelvis before. Yeah. Because... I'm white and I grew up in this white family in a white town, even though it's not really a white town. Once I started getting into the hip hop, dancing with the Filipino boys and then meeting a lot of indigenous mob that had their own dancers. And all of a sudden I'm like, holy shit, I'm in this Asian indigenous melting pot near the equator called Darwin. But until that point, it had just been like shitty white trashy rock. But it never made my pelvis move or my torso move. And then that, the, the music, finally came into my life and I was like, holy shit. <laughs> but I wonder, yeah, I, so I'm, I guess I'm asking you about your story. It's almost identical to yours mm. in that I grew up my whole life doing Indian classical dance. Yeah, right. which was your, like, normal. Yeah. Your generic. My generic. Yeah. And it's classical. Like, it's the equivalent of ballet. It's not yeah. fun. Oh, no. It's not even fun to necessarily watch, but it's... <laughs> Uh, you know, like it's it's in the same way that ballet isn't necessarily fun to watch unless you're really into your classical, you yeah. know, the, you've got. Yeah. So in that way, my dad loved watching Indian classical because he's yeah. very into his like Indian poetry and like all mm. of that. So, so he will watch, he can watch Kathakali, which goes from, I think, 11 p.m. at night all the way until morning, mm. 7 a.m. in the morning. It's like an eight hour, like big drama thing. So he can watch all of that stuff and he understands it. Whereas my mum who grew up in Mumbai and loves Bollywood is like, I don't get it. So mm-hmm. think of it as pop versus ballet, right? <laughs> Bollywood and Bharatanatyam. So I grew up doing Bharatanatyam and I stuck to it for as long as I did because everyone told me I was good at it. So a little kid with an ego is like, I guess I'll stick to it. <laughs> yeah. And um, and I like the costumes, lots of jewelry. That was fun as a kid. Um, and then I remember it was never cool. So I never told anyone in school that I did it. I was never cool in school at all. In fact, I would go as far as saying I was a massive loser for a long time. For And I remember watching the popular girls practice their hip-hop routine oh, shit. on the basketball courts where at lunchtime. How, where was this? What school? Rossmine High School in WA. Uh-huh. Yeah, Perth. yeah, yeah, yeah. So they would tie their they would tie their shirts up yeah. and their tummies and they'd practice. It was super like mean girls or something, right? I remember watching them do this hip hop routine and being like, I don't know what hip hop is, but I can just tell that they're not good. I just <laughs> I was just like I was like, oh, I just like what I didn't dislike it. I was like, it's cool, but I feel like it's it's better than this. Mm. It was like this funny and now I look back at it and I was like it's it was yeah, anyway. So, um, and then I ended up taking my first class and I walked into this class. It was like an after school, um, dance school that sprung from my high school's uh, dance program, yeah, dance yeah, program yeah, yeah. sort of thing. And so I, I walked in and I was barefoot cause that's how I've always danced my whole life being Indian. Okay. And I was just in like sort of track pants and a baggy t-shirt. Everyone was like, they were like the popular girls from my school. I was 19 at this time, so I'd graduated, well and truly graduated. Um, And I just remember being so nervous. Mm. 
Um, but what we learnt was dance hall by this Ooh. by this like um, African chick Rita, and it. I still remember the routine because I felt alive in the same way. Because I always wanted to do this thing that I saw. You know, you watch Beyonce and stuff, but you're like, oh, it's really cool. But I always wanted to do it. And then I went to this class and I came home. I was like, you know, that feeling after a dance class where you're like, you're just full of adrenaline and you're so happy. Yeah. You just go home. You just pr- I practiced the dance routine so much. And then from there, my dance career took off. Like, that's how I got a job teaching the year after. And I got a scholarship the year after and th- that sort of thing. And I, I started teaching kids. And so by default, turning 29 next year will be 10 years of teaching. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, yeah, it's one of those things where um, it's Did- the same thing. It didn't – classical Indian dance was cool. And I, I'm going to revisit it by the end of this year. I'm going back to India. I want to re- revisit it because um, I, I have a newfound appreciation for it and my sense of identity so strongly is linked to it. But that made me come alive. And I've always loved watching National Geographic and I've always loved like Afro drums. And I think being Indian and listening to those sort of drums and that liveliness of even our pop music like Bollywood and stuff growing up, you listen to Afro beats and it's the same. And then when I pay, play to play Afrobeats to my refugee class, the mums come in and they just love it. They all want to know what song it is. They've got their hijabs and I'm like, please don't look up the video clips. Cause <laughs> 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 oh, but because that, that sort of rhythm, yeah. it's so it's such a, uh, I don't know, like a unifying sort of like it's made to dance to. And yes. it's very similar across Middle East, India and um, Africa. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, that's a that I think that's why those sorts of like I guess world music and global dance yeah. styles resonate with me and street styles, the rawness of it just it just clicks with me. Yeah. The expressiveness of it, right? <clears throat> I think yeah, I don't know, it's something because I imagine that it changes with every generation that the generation grow up listening to something and it's not theirs. It's something they they've inherited, and but I mean I'm just saying this from my experience of Western culture is that the youth want to have their own thing, mm-hmm. and whatever that thing currently is, is whatever that they've found that they've scavenged from an, a pre-existing culture somewhere else, yeah. and then just turned up to eleven, just <laughs> really cranked all of yeah. the nuances out of it. Yeah. And then it becomes their thing that defines their generation. Like, we'll be the the old people dancing our old time dances that'll be like full torso moving yeah. and like stomping and house. I don't know. I still can't really do house. I would really love to. I try. Oh, I'm so I'm so mediocre at it for how much I love it. <laughs> <It's> <laughs> oh, when you go and look at the people that have taught me, yeah. I'm just like, oh my god, such a long way to go, but. It's exciting, not depressing. It's, <laughs> it's also that thing when you realise that um, the, the dancing is not something that you learn the routine of and then set in stone and then execute and it has a beginning and an end. Yeah, which but, a lot of people do miss that point. But Yeah, yeah. It's ta- and it's still taken me a long time. to. I think it wasn't until I was trying to freestyle in a b-boy context that I realize that dancing is an act it's not a, a, a 
sequence or something. Like, yeah. It's not a. It's not something that you have your first move and then you have your eighth move. Yeah. Yeah, it's weird, but that's that's a totally different. I feel like my dance development has been hopscotching each other in my professional dance development of learning the step and then being able to execute the step in the sequence that has been denoted by the choreographer at a certain level is over here. And then on the other side of that is my ability to listen and to be moved and to be compelled by the people that I'm with to the point where I stop getting in my own way Mm. and then you can dance. Yeah. And it's almost like on top of that, you still need skills. You still need to have say what I got from your groove therapy was that this this part of my body can go this way in a circular motion that never has to end. Yeah. It's not just one move that, and then I'm stuck there or something. A groove versus I, a step or a move, a yeah? Yeah, can yeah, you talk yeah. to me about grooves? Because it feels like that's... It lacks in Australia. That's, well, look, whiteies. <laughs> we missed the oh, groove. Oh, no, no, I mean even in the dance culture. Yes. Even in the hip-hop dance culture. Yes. Um, and but, I, people have said that is because Australian culture doesn't have groove within its dancing. But um, so uh, I guess um, a step is when you put your foot here and your hand there and yeah. that's like a step or a move, right? Yeah. But a groove is like that flavor and that mm. soul that you put over it that mm. makes it look cool. Mm. You take the groove out and it's just a really cheesy step and you put the groove in. And that's like, that's where that awful stereotype of like white people can't dance versus black people can dance. Because they like African, Afro culture or just a lot of ethnic culture have groove in their social dance contexts. Yeah, right. So like people who, a lot of um, African people who come to my class who have never, ever taken a dance class, even my, actually my indigenous students yeah i'm sure i'm sure you would have noticed that as well yeah when i've gone to say tenant creek or something which is right i've been to tenant yeah creek. hi i've taught breakdance down in tenant creek and <gasps> i wonder was... if we taught the same kids maybe it's very really likely very likely how amazing are those kids amazing even there's an island just above darwin called bathurst island and i got flown over to teach breakdance there and i get off the plane and like 10 year olds and below swarm around like mr mr watch this and they find a tree stump and backflip off the tree stump you're like someone's going to kill themselves yeah but yeah the 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 activity of doing whatever you want in the moment of joy and excitement and trusting and training that your body can save itself because it is intelligent and it can respond that um gets practiced yeah. In those environments. And I think also a big thing is that hip-hop resonates with a lot of those communities because it was born out of the same roots yeah. of oppression. Yeah. And it's well, so it f- also just has um, role models that have dark skin. Yeah. And oh, something so as simple as that. As simple as that. You've got two pack shirts in yeah. the middle of the Australian yeah. desert. And you're like, well, makes sense. Seeing as how we, like, who, yeah. Yeah. Who have you really got that's like, yeah. Yeah. But yeah. Like, we have some... Yeah, incredible political activists or whatever, or, or like social leaders, but they're not lauded and celebrated in that um, fashion pop way yeah. that you want when you're 12 and 15. Totally. You want to be so cool. Yeah, Tupac, totally. <laughs> yeah, totally. exactly. 100%. So with these kids, um, I was teaching them the hardest moves I could whip out. You know, and it just took them no time to pick it up. They were just so... It's different with the with the younger sort of 10, 12-year-old boys 
mixed with a couple of girls that were like kind of their cousins and stuff so they were all like quite blunt with each other really close quite funny and cheeky but then there was this other different um i guess group of girls they didn't know these kids Mm -hmm. so i taught those girls in a separate environment and i had to close the door all the windows no Mm -hmm. one could come through Mm -hmm. and like you know the big word for it like is shame especially to women and girls and they were shame yeah so they were like 14 and up and they just weren't really participating but you could tell they wanted to but it was shame yeah so um and yeah i didn't really break down their walls that much like I, i only had an hour with that group but I just didn't, yeah, it was like, how do you expect to? They've got their whole lives versus your one hour that you come in there and work with them. But the other kids I had, we had them for six hours on the first day. Wow. In hot tenant yeah, creek yeah, weather. Yeah, ridiculous. Yeah. Did, were you in that little room with all the graffiti inside it? <clears throat> it must have been the same room. I can't imagine there's too many. Yeah. We actually, we did a class inside a building but then we also did a couple of just jam sessions yeah. outside under a shade somewhere and we yeah. put some cardboard down it was just we played loud music and you come and go yeah that's that's really because that's i how like that how unstructured that's what the six hours was yeah it wasn't six hours of back-to-back <laughs> classes it was five six <laughs> totally we had several hours of break dancing which it's just it's such a good format for an unstructured Regime. class yeah. isn't it yeah. um so yeah so we so i'm gonna start those sorts of programs in Redfern. I'm not starting the programs, I tell a lie. Groove therapy is going to, um, I guess, bring teachers uh-huh. to, um, to yeah, a couple of organizations that we have, that we've been talking to, because we hold classes in Redfern for, everyday, for the everyday person, yeah. and not one Aboriginal person comes to those classes, and it's Redfern, like that's yeah. embarrassing. Yeah. You know, so it's like, um, I just really want to make sure that if I'm going to be doing stuff in Redfern, I'm kind of like engaging with the Aboriginal community there. Yeah. Um, and yeah, so breakdancing would be probably what I, the biggest one that I'd bring people in it's to teach. It's a good start because you don't, you don't have to be moving as a group towards no. something. There's you no can, choreography. No. Yeah. And you like falling over can be very stylish. Yeah, totally. <laughs> Those kids were amazing. So they had never really done a class, but they knew everything from YouTube. Yeah. Yes, it's a big yep. one. With Especially them. with uh, Boogaloo or Liquid or whatever. They were amazing. Like, and it's just also just for how much kids troll the internet and there's so much misinformation. How is it that these Aboriginal communities are just whipping out the most legit OG mm like non-culturally appropriated moves like like you said they're like popping and yeah. they're doing all their boogaloo and then you've got like other kids who are like oh we're doing the harlem shake but not the real one and you're just oh, we're doing a plank and you're like how is this happening like, it's a, i don't know it's it, it's fascinated me what? like their soul and their groove yeah fascinated me well i hope it's not too late for my own Soul in my own groove. No, I'm working towards it's it. There, it's there. <laughs> I saw it. You were killing it. Thanks. But um, you've got a b-boy background, so you cheat. So. Yeah, I. It's one of. I have an aspirational b-boy background. <laughs> <laughs> you know, there are things that we aspire to. I have the same. Yeah. I have an aspirational b-girl background <laughs> with no b-girl skills. Emphasis on aspirational. Uh, what? Okay. What is the real Harlem Shake? The real Harlem Shake, well, this is not going to be very good on a podcast, oh, but it's right. da, 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 shoulders. Oh, da, yeah, da, right. 
and then you just like and you jump. And uh-huh. Jump. I've seen this. Jump. That's a hover shape. Yeah, right. It's nothing like what the, the one. What the hell was that video? I don't know. Mm. You know, in the same way that you know that new Running Man thing where everyone's yeah, yeah, doing yeah. that, but everyone knows the other Running Man. Yes. It's the same sort of thing where it's like yeah, right. if you were if you wanted to be a purist about your hip hop, you'd be like, what? Yeah. But whatever. Yeah, it has to be whatever because the power of hip hop is that you're making it every time you do it, you're remaking it. Yeah, totally. My issue with that stuff, especially in Sydney, is the amount that people will especially hold beginner dance classes Uh and they'll be like, I teach hip hop and because of my hip hop background and it's like, you don't know anything about hip hop. What you're teaching is Beyonce or what you're teaching is... Um, Drake or whatever it is Uh and you're teaching a fun routine to it but that's pop there is no there is no history behind those movements that you know you're not teaching a west coast versus east coast style and that's it's like you're not teaching hip hop and that's very dangerous it is that misinformation to a culture who that is already so casually racist and flippant with their commentary of what they know yeah and hip hop's already so trivialized and cheapened like stop telling people that Beyonce is hip-hop. Mm. Beyonce is awesome, but she's not hip-hop. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> yes, I do know what you mean. Because I... One of the first break experiences I had was with a guy called Nick Power. Oh, Nick Power, cool. Yeah, and he has the same deal. He's like, if it's not embedded within a culture, then it's not hip-hop. Yeah. It's pop, because pop is a worldwide... Um, commodified franchise that anyone can dip in and out of by paying an entry fee. Yeah. But hip-hop is about the development of skills and networks and communities and people and the growing of activities that you can do together with those people. And if you can't do one, you do the other. And if you can do both, you do both. And that it's... I imagine that's the foundation of most cultural... um, Street dance... And Which others. is yeah, yeah, most cultural situations. Whatever yeah. it is, it's 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 a tool that functions to have people together mm-hmm. in a way that exists outside of um, linguistic debate. Yeah. Or it's I, so much deeper than that. It's so much deeper than that. Yeah. That you come together and you might disagree with each other on everything else, but you, there's still a time and a place to for that not to matter yeah. somehow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. It's like I, I have that being Indian with um, this whole yoga namaste movement in Western culture. Yes, tell me about that. Um, so you're Indian though you were born in UAE though you're actually Australian. Yeah. Like if anyone listened to this podcast. Yeah, that would be the best way. We would way. be two Aussies yeah. talking. Yeah, I'd say so. I'd say so. But having said that, I'm a lot more Indian than I think people realise Yeah, right. as well. Then in that, first realized. of all, I'm not mixed. Okay. So I think a lot of people assume I'm mixed and I'm not even mixed within India. Like I'm only from one part of India. Both my parents are South Indian from Kerala. Uh-huh. So they both speak Malayalam, which is a dialect from uh-huh. Kerala, right? Uh-huh. So already within that, like I, there's things where people will be like, oh, Punjabi MC or whatever. I'm like, well, dude, North, I know nothing about Punjabi culture. It's, a, it's like another country to me. Mm-hmm. So things, tandoori chicken, butter chicken, that's different culture. You know, so, so like I, I'm... Not only am I a lot less mixed than people think, um, I think because I have this Aussie accent, I teach hip-hop, and through completely my own fault, at some point in my teenage years, I decided to reject Indian culture because 
I didn't see I, I thought the romanticized stuff about India and Shantaram and all that great stuff that people love to preach about was great and I, I would play that up to my to my benefit whenever I wanted. But remember I wasn't cool and being not cool in white Australia as an Indian person, mm-hmm. um a kid like you know I mean, isn't that the stereotype that's always played by like people like Aziz like you're just always trying to be black like you just don't want to be the Indian person so I, I very much rejected my culture and I lost um, I've almost lost so many aspects of that through those years where I was just like nah but I grew up loving I, every year I performed at Indian Independence Day and we'd do a Bollywood dance or a classical Indian dance with all the Indian girls I did Indian dancing several times a week like I grew up in a household where everyone speaks Malayalam. I don't because I would respond in English. So would my sister. So we don't have that capability to speak. Um, I grew up eating curry every night. I grew up with the pressures of having to be a lawyer or a doctor and having to study. Like I'm so Indian. You know, my parents were like, oh, of course you're going to have an arranged marriage. Like I'm so Indian and people don't realize that because I fought against all of it and my parents are really progressive and they're like yeah fair enough you grow up here and it doesn't really suit you to have an arranged marriage and you know our fault we didn't push you to speak Malayalam at homes and yeah you don't really like Bollywood music anymore because you just kind of lost touch with that like they're, they're really cool about that but at the same time there's an Indianness to me that you cannot beat out so when you're in a yoga class and I've done Indian classical dance my whole life and someone's like press your third eye to the floor and say um I'm just like fuck off like do you know <laughs> sorry I'm allowed to swear of sorry. course you can swear um, so but, you, but let's assume my ignorance as well because <laughs> there's things that I don't know about what what that sentence is sparking in you uh, so i'm first of all my family's a catholic background so it's not even like we're hindu right yeah. but every week i would go to temple and perform because that was part of being an indian classical dancer yeah and my parents are like i said they're not really like they're really not religious especially my dad mm-hmm. my dad's incredibly progressive mm-hmm. um so we just like we go to temple every week and then people would give me fruits at the end of my thing and I turn to my parents and be like, what am I supposed to do with this? They were like, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> and I'd ask another auntie. She's like, you have to place it in front of the gods. And like, so I grew up going to temple every week and church. Um, and so where am I going with this? Okay, cool. So, so And then Auntie Jaya Lakshmi who taught me, she was like my guru who taught me um, Indian classical dance. Mm-hmm. She went vegan at some point. We didn't know what that was. We were like, Auntie Jolish, well, you can't eat chicken curry anymore. She's like, I know. That's all, you know. Her husband was Ram. He would play the tabla and sitar mm-hmm. by, by her side. And without realizing it, there was just so much. She Every dance that you do in Indian classical dance is about Hinduism, like Hindu mythology. It's, mm-hmm. Everything is symbolic and very deep. Every gesture means something you know when you do everything like it's it's so symbolic so deeply deeply symbolic and auntie jalakshmi was so religious and everything was a devotion to a god every dance and i did it because my parents were like you it's a really cool way for you to get in touch with your culture and you love to dance um so when you go to a yoga class it seems cheap right when someone and this is the difference between appreciation versus appropriation in that appreciation is being like that culture really moves me i'm going to go and learn about it and take it on and i've done it for long enough that i can teach it and that's why i can really i can appreciate i go to yoga i go to western yoga i love it i love getting fit from it 
But when they start to get preachy mm. and spiritual, mm. that's when I, I can, I, I can't tell you why, but I can pick the authentic ones from the non-authentic ones. Mm. So I'm not saying white people aren't allowed to touch that, that our culture, but it's just, it is so trendy right now to be a boho gypsy mermaid who eats, who has turmeric lattes, Indian, who uses coconut oil, Indian, who drinks coconut water. Like it's just, do you know, like a lot of that, who has Orm tattooed on them, Indian, who plays sitar in Byron Bay, like on the street. Mm. Like there's a fine line between, there was a guy who was shredding on his sitar and I was like, that's awesome because you can't fake that. You've got to put years of dedication and action, you know. Mm. And then there's the people that just kind of do it and they sort of say, Om Shanti, Shanti. And you're like, piss off. Like that, I have a funny issue with it because I was bullied so much for it and it was so uncool for my whole childhood. And now people are rocking bindis at festivals. And I'm like, yeah, but you know, that cool hot group of models, they're wearing their bindis. Are you nice to your taxi driver who drove you home? Are you nice to that person who served you at 7-Eleven when you were drunk and needed to get yourself like a packet of chips? Like that's my little funny thing with that Mm. stuff. You can pick it, right? Definitely. I remember I did get a taxi and the dude... He was sick, so he was wearing yeah. the full deal. But his photo wasn't. In his photo, he must have been about 24 or 25. And he just looked like he'd come out of uni or something, like a white could come out of uni. I was like, what's going on, mate? And he, why are you, like, no beard, no headdress, but now you're... He's like, yeah, I rejected that shit for, yeah. like, 10 or 15 years. But my dad's a sick, And then eventually I started realising that it's fully... It is me. And so I had to go back and learn about what is this thing. I was like, see, your dad's a Sikh, like, full-time. He's like, no, my dad's an electrician. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, legit, awesome. <laughs> but just that um, it's exactly right that there are... But I also think that there's a class difference. Mm-hmm. Like, there's a class difference about maybe the high school that you went to was not in Newtown. Yeah, totally. <clears throat> Isn't that so true? And so maybe if it was, mm-hmm. then you would, or in Bondi, then yeah. you would have had parents coming and picking up their kids who were the friends of you or whatever, yeah. who would have asked you about and told you about the yoga that they were doing. Yeah, yeah totally. That's so true. But yeah, I don't know if Australia's really moved as much as actually the classes are more performative in their divide. Mm-hmm. It's, uh, Australia can be so casually racist without realizing it's so well-meaning um i mean my boyfriend is from the northern beaches is he really tall yeah 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 yeah. i find that whenever i've been to a few parties like an engagement party (laughs) at the oaks everyone's like a foot or two everyone's a foot taller than people what's going on yeah they they, yeah they are like yeah (laughs) the aryan dream over there northern bleachers it's called and i was nervous the first time he took me to sydney and was i'm going to take you to the northern beaches I was nervous the first time I went to teach at this retirement village because it's in Narrabeen. Yeah, right. And it's, it's the um, Anzac War Vets Narrabeen, you know. Oh, shit. Um, and in both cases, everyone was really awesome and lovely to me, and I was the one that was proven wrong. So there is something intrinsic in the them versus us mentality yeah. um, of, like, oh, like, white people are racist or those big groups of white people are racist. And I just happened to meet the biggest legends ever at the same time a lot of a lot of when you go to like parties i went to a northern beaches party the other day 
everyone was like yelling the n-word at the top of their lungs to this Busta Rhymes song yet when I joined the circle everyone wouldn't and it's kind of like well okay you have enough self-awareness to know that you shouldn't mm. say that do you know what I mean like yeah. is it just things like yeah. that where it's like there's just a lot of and it's so harmless they're such good people but it's just that thing where it's like oh there's you know if I'm going to be picky we've got a we've got a bit of a way to go with that stuff yeah and there's been there's been worse cases like my boyfriend for a long time would be like oh people are lovely like don't be silly and like they don't mean it when they're being casually racist or whatever it is like you know and he he was sort of like because they are really good people and I'm like yeah but you know and then there was a few occasions where someone would say something so jarring without really clicking that I was in the circle or something about you know because you're you've become one of them yeah and they can still talk about these others yeah yeah and they'll say but even just as a joke like I remember someone discussing this like aboriginal surfer and it was a big debate and then as they as these guys left one of them just goes ah black cunts hey and walks out just he's trying to be funny apparently and everyone that was still in the room just like you can feel their collective hearts just drop into their stomachs. Like, they got so upset. Mm. And then, you know, someone came up to me like, did you hear him say that? All this. I was like, yeah, 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 I heard him. I can't, I'm going to go and say something to him. I'm like, why? Like, he's left now. And they were just so upset about it. And I was like, okay, hold up. You're all really upset about this and you feel really uncomfortable because I'm in the room. And they're like, well, yeah, like, you know, like that, that's so offensive because you were there. And I was like, if I wasn't in the room, you probably wouldn't have thought twice. You would have probably like just not laughed because it wasn't really funny, mm. but not really been like, oh, that's so it, it was such a it was such a um, pivotal moment for these people so pivotal in that they were like whoa there's a real white privilege in that people make racist remarks and i never you don't really think twice about it until someone that you really care about is just tucked away in a corner of a room and you're like oh and i was like so that little heart dropping into your stomach moment that you felt is the closest you can ever feel to what i feel every time someone makes a joke like that Mm. in a social it's the closest you're ever going to get to feeling that and they were like i i don't need racism to be funny I've realised it's kind of cool, you know? It is cool. It's it's pretty... Um, I think the privilege is pervasive, and I think there's some conversations that we're getting better at having and then some that are still ultimately invisible, like Asian-to-Asian racism in Australia yeah, yeah. is still not spoken about because we're all busy talking about white male privilege, yeah. which, you know, as a white male, I'm very aware... But of course, I would be sensitive to that conversation yeah. going on. No, I, I, I think you're completely right. Indian people are so racist. People, people. People are racist. 